Just a couple things before we get started in the Word. The tech team gave me this um, before service, and they informed me that if I fiddled with that in my pocket, I would be changing the slides during the worship. I was able to pass the temptation. <laughs> I've never been given so much control in all my life. And I told Eric, I said, revival starts with holy disruption. And I could really do it with this. So, uh, but I resisted the temptation. I took it out of my pocket and laid it on there. And I kept saying, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. The second thing I want to say to everybody is it is such a privilege to be here. And when I say that, I'm not saying that out of any sense of formality. Um, sometimes... If you attend a place uh, for a long period of time and you're a part of a family, you get familiar with your family. And so sometimes you don't understand the, the blessing, uh, the uniqueness, um, the grace of God that is upon you as a people. And, and so then we, we start viewing things in a way where all we can see is spots and blemishes. Uh, this is a unique place. And this is a place that carries a very special anointing for worship. And with that worship, uh, you've cultivated an environment for the presence of God. And, it, you know, as I travel to various parts of the body, uh, n not everyone enjoys the manifest presence of God. Did you hear what I said? Yes. Not everybody enjoys God showing up and being... Uh, among his people and so today I just feel blessed that I was able to find a place that honors his presence that waits for him attends to his heart that focuses and makes it about Jesus and not about uh, some program or or some agenda that we have to try to fulfill uh, to make sure that uh, we do church the way that we wanted to do church so it's a, it's a privilege and a blessing to be here. The other thing was that it was so great to talk to some of you. I didn't get to greet all of you, obviously, but some of you uh, that know me, and we were greeting. And I just want you to know I was able to get past some, you know, unforgiveness uh, already because some of you greeted me and said, Hi, Lynn, is Carmen here? <laughs> and I, I really didn't know how to take that. And I almost have said, well, great to see you too. Um, but <laughs> Carmen does send her greetings. And I know that she's much prettier than I am. And she's much nicer than I am. And, and, uh, but, uh, you know, we're looking forward to coming for the launch of the 25th anniversary. And our, we're going to try to get as many of our kids as possible uh, to come. But she will be here then. And then I'll just stand in the corner as you guys uh, actually are able to see the one that you wanted to see and, and not the one that you have to see sometimes, okay? Well, if you have your scripture, I want you to go to Isaiah 58, verse 12. Okay, there we go. It worked. What power. Isaiah 58. And... Uh, I do feel like I, I'm carrying a word of the Lord for the body of Christ, but I believe it has applications for this house. 
Otherwise, I wouldn't speak it and share it here. Uh, but I feel like many times God uses me uh, to, in a, maybe a 30,000-foot view, just kind of say, we are here uh, as the body of Christ, and this is where God is taking us. And there's a number of spiritual paradigms that you can look back and reflect in the Scripture uh, that can serve us and help inform us for us to understand where God has us right now in the body of Christ. And so one leadership paradigm that I've been talking quite a bit about is that uh, God is in our nation raising up a Samuel leadership, a leadership that has spent time in the presence of God, uh, you know, been groomed by the Holy Spirit to carry the presence of God. And that uh, leadership, which has somewhat been hidden, is going to now come out of where they've been hidden. And God is going to use them in a very profound way to reclaim and restake um, the authentic prophetic ministry in the church. And, and I think we've had prophetic ministry in the church, but there is a greater prophetic ministry that's coming. And it's going to be with greater clarity. It's going to be um, with a greater voice. And it, it is going to be nation shaking. So the Samuels are arising and they're coming out. They're going to be coming out. And there was a real test that our nation went through, the church and the nation went through because of some of the inaccuracy of an immature prophetic ministry. And all of us had to navigate that, some of the disappointment. And what does this mean? And is there accountability? But uh, God many times permits the immature and the exposure uh, to where we get a really uh, a true idea of our spirit spiritual maturity and stature. And so it allows us to go, boy, we've got a long way to go. And uh, uh, we're, we don't want to, you know, spend our spiritual currency like this, uh, because the world needs to see something real. They need to see it authentic. They need to see Jesus, who is the prophet of his church, to his church, in his church, revealed through his church. Amen. Um, not our interpretation of what prophetic ministry is. But I want to give you another paradigm. That's where we're going to focus today. Not only is there a Samuel moment coming to the church, Samuel leadership that's going to create a prophetic people that God is going to really use to speak to the nations. But there's also a Nehemiah and an Ezra moment that is upon the church. God is right now raising up Nehemiahs and Ezras that are going to lead a remnant out of Babylonian captivity. Because the church has been uh, captivated and captured by a spirit of the world where the world has invaded the church. And instead of us producing um, sons and daughters of Zion, uh, we have generations that have been in the church that look more Babylonian than they do children of Zion. And so there is going to be this awakening of a number of leaders and churches that God is going to cast in a role very specifically to be Nehemiahs in this generation. They will be Ezra's in this generation. And they are going to speak a word that it is now time for us to leave and forsake Babylon in all of its forms. 
uh, to they they will see that it's now time to take the remnant out of of some of the things that have, have, have had a hold of us, captivated us, captured us, held us in slavery, slavery to the world and the spirit of the world. And those Nehemiahs are going to lead God's people back to where uh, our home is. And that is Zion. I mean, you know that we belong to a different city, a city whose builder and maker is God. And, and so there's going to be a, a deep contrast between the systems of the world and then the kingdom of God and the nature of the kingdom and the city and the kingdom that God is building. So there's going to come voices that speak to the church that it's now time to quickly leave. Because if, we, if we've been reading Revelation, it says, Come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her plagues. This is going to be a real time of separation. I've been saying this for a while. I believe that in the 2020s, we are in a decade of transition and a decade of transition and God is going to allow the heat to intensify so that the church really shakes itself, awakes itself, and understands that if we do not leave Babylon, we will go down with Babylon. Uh, but if we can retrace our steps back to Zion, God is going to allow Ezra's and Nehemiah's to rebuild foundations where the people of God used to dwell. And so... Uh, Christianity is about a lifestyle. It is about things that we believe, that we declare, that we profess. But the profession guides our lifestyle. What we're saying translates into a tangible walk where we walk this out. So that every aspect of our life is in agreement with what we're saying. There's no disparity and, and there's no... Um, uh, you know, hypocrisy within what, what we say and what we're doing. And so God is bringing his people back to covenant expression, covenant life, covenant experience. And when I use that phrase, covenant life, I'm saying that God is our God and we will be his people. The only one that has ownership over our life, the only one that, that marks our identity and that we understand our relationship to him and his relationship to us. God is going to return his people back to a sense of covenant identity, covenant expression, covenant experience, and it is going to begin to permeate every aspect of our life. Now, before I read this text, I would just want to make one other comment. I see that, and you go, well, Lynn, why do you feel like there's going to be this return back to Zion and the remnant is going to return and we've got to go back into places where former generations used to do life and God is going to have us go back to where believers and, and generations prior in their walk in God and their life in God and their faith in God, God is going to lead us back into generational foundations. Why is that important? And how can we discern how far we've left our foundations? I see within the church, how Babylonian are we? I see in the church how there is nothing sacred or holy anymore. Everything's become common. I'm going to wait for an amen. And so you can see when we become more like the world, because the world doesn't esteem or value spiritual things. The world does not uh, allow anything 
to not be touched and defiled by what the world will do when it touches that which is holy. It wants to take that which is holy, that which is pure, that which is sacred, commonize it, demean it, devalue it to where it loses its power and its potency and its impact in our life. And then you see that which is unclean, that which is unholy, is then by the world sanctified in a way to become commonplace. So at the same time, we see that which is holy becoming common and that which is unclean uh, becoming common. So then we live in a world where there is no distinguishing between right and wrong, that which is holy or unholy. We just live in this world where it's all sorts of shades of gray. Well, in this hour, Ezra will arise. In this hour, Nehemiah will arise. And they will call God's people back to a place of holiness and separation and a holiness unto the Lord. Where we are not common. We have been redeemed by blood. We are not our own. We are His and His alone. And so every aspect of our life, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act... In all of our ways, we acknowledge him. And then in the acknowledging of our ways, everything becomes sacred. The common, and this is what will begin to happen in the church. When the Ezra and Nehemiah anointing begins to influence the church, that which has been made common will once again become holy. Even the things that are every day in the everydayness of our life, we will see a sanctity of God's holiness sanctify even the mundane and the ordinary and the normal. And those things that we just every day are familiar with, we will see how precious and holy they are. Every, every aspect of our relationship, every, every aspect of how we communicate, everything that we do as parents with children and children with parents and how we do life together, God is going to bring a massive wave of sanctification to his church and our lives are going to be redeemed back. Redeemed. Every aspect of life will be redeemed, and we will, we will just be resensitized to the sacredness of the gift of the life of God that He's given to us to live in our generation. And so, um, in the very practical, everyday expressions, and I didn't mean to get into application right away, but I will. But I, I just find that sometimes as Christian, we've been more Babylonian when it comes to giving thanks to God, even for the food and the provision we receive. And I just see sometimes Christians sit down and I mean, they're just grabbing the grub and shoving it in their face without any thought that God was the maker and the provider of everything that you have. And so there's going to be a retraining and a recentering and a and a, again, a sanctifying of every aspect of our life. So I want to encourage you as a parent, a mom and dad, a grandparent, if, if when you sit down at the table, if you're not acknowledging the Lord in all of your ways, acknowledging Him, once you sanctify that moment to be a moment of thanksgiving where you start living in a lifestyle of gratitude and thanksgiving to God. But more important, our kids must see yes. the sanctity of all things. And how that our faith influences every aspect of our life. Deuteronomy encourages us that when we go out, when we come in, 
when we rise up, when we lie down. Everywhere we go, we're expressing and explaining. We are modeling and we are uh, trying to show forth the light of God's glory that comes through our daily life because the world needs to see that our faith is real and genuine. So I want to encourage us. When we go on trips, instead of just jumping in the car and strapping on the seatbelt and believing that seatbelt and airbag is going to protect you, there were generations gone by that you didn't go anywhere without first calling out upon God and asking for His traveling mercies. Now these are simple examples. And you go, but that's, that's just kind of some religious stuff. Religion is what happens when we no longer have a heart connection to the acts that we're doing. But I'm saying that if your heart is connected to every aspect of integrating faith into the motion of our life on a daily basis, that is not religion. That is pure and undefiled religion, which is an expression of a life of faith that we live before God. It is time that we start being the people of faith again in all of our ways, acknowledging Him. That's what's going to make us a people that is unique, particular, and holy to a generation that's desperately needing to see something that's real. Okay, let me read the text. It says, And your ancient ruins, verse 12, shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Can we all say this together? And if you don't have the translation that I have, read it from the screen. But let's just all profess this. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is the Nehemiah task. This is the Ezra anointing right here. And this, you know, may not, all of you may not carry the weight of this word, but I know that some of you are called into this leadership role. God is going to cast you into this role to really call God's people to return back to Zion. Hopefully, if you're not called to carry the weight of the standard of this word, you will at least heed the standard and follow where you're being led. But I believe that in this house, there's a number of you that are carrying a burden to see breaches restored, streets that we used to travel in and walk in, paths, ancient paths that we used to walk and dwell in, foundations where covenant life and expression used to exist but is no longer there it's a faded memory may those that lead us back recover those foundations where the people of God can rebuild their lives upon these foundations now I want you to go with me to Psalm 127 and I want to talk to you uh, for a little bit out of this text Psalm 127 and I want to answer the question of why is it imperative that we receive the anointing that God is releasing to the church to restore things? Why it's imperative and important. Um, this text has been coming alive to me in a fresh new way. And whenever I read this psalm in the past, 
I always used to think that it was a psalm that somebody wrote that was really writing two psalms and they combined them into one because there was a real disconnection between the first part of this chapter and the second part. But God has really been opening my heart to how that this... Oh, Eric's giving me the signal. Okay. Showing me that this thought through these five verses are a singular whole. But we sometimes don't see what God is saying. Now, if I had a title to this message... I would call it generation builders. The way we restore ancient paths, former foundations, is the church must think generationally. We must think about generations that have gone before us, but as we're recalling and reflecting on what God has done in the past, it then allows us to see where the Lord is wanting to take the church in the future. And we understand that every present generation is, is receiving something from the past, but we're also attempting to try to bridge into the future so things are passed on. The, the baton is passed on. Now, this psalm said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Three times in this passage of Scripture, the word vain is used. And so we have, if somebody is attempting to build a house without the Lord's aid, partnership, and help, then, it, then it's purposeless. There is no point to the building. And you may think that you're accomplishing something because of something being constructed. And you go, no, I'm, I'm being successful. Look at what is being built. But that house will not endure. That house will not stand. Unless the Lord builds the house, it will not endure past one generation. So we want to build a household and we want to build generationally with the Lord so that that which we're laboring, putting all of our heart, our soul, our faith, our labor of love, all the investment of all the time to, to do something with God in our generation, we want to make sure that, that when the Lord builds with us, it will endure past us. Long after we're gone, there will be something of a substance that has been left in this city that we say, God was at work and God did it. Even in spite of us, God did it. He worked with us. He was our Ebenezer. God was our help. Now it says, unless we build with the Lord and the Lord is in the building of the house, it's purposeless. And then he says this, unless the Lord watches over the city, which when everybody is building a house with the Lord, guess what? Those houses joined together become a city. And it said that unless the Lord is building a house and the result being a city, after it's being built, and then you have watchmen on the walls, unless the Lord is watching with the watchmen, you also are watching in vain. You can build in vain, and you can watch to protect what has been built, but it will still be in, in vanity. And this is a word for our country. doesn't matter how many nuclear bombs you have in your arsenal. It doesn't matter how many aircraft carriers you have in the fleet, or how many boots that you can put on the ground. Unless the Lord watches over the city, we are all watching in vain. 
So be warned, the United States, not to trust in your horses, not to trust in your arsenal, not to trust in all of the things that you, assets that you can put in the, the field. I tell you what, unless God protects us, we are defenseless. But then there is a third thing. Everybody say it with me, this phrase, it is vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. So here is the third thing that we can do in vain. We can build in vain. We can watch in vain over what we built. And then while we're trying to, you know, plant and sow to have a harvest, you can, you can be out there feverishly working. And then after you've worked all day and sown all day and cultivated all day and done everything within your power to make sure that there is a harvest, you go back to the house and you're there. Even though your body wants to rest, your mind is still in worry and anxiety and you're sitting there restless because you, you don't know if the harvest is going to be secure. How many of you have worked really, really hard and then after you worked really hard and you, you didn't hold anything back, you did all that you could when you got back home instead of saying, you know what, I did my part, God will do his part. There is going to be a harvest. You went back there and you rolled in bed all night long worrying about what you did, whether it was enough. So you can build in vain. You can watch in vain. And you can also work in vain apart from the Lord. And you will have no restful peace when it comes to your labors. But the opposite of all this is, is, is true. If the Lord builds the house, storms can come against it. Let them come. I don't think you heard me. I'm going to start preaching right now. If the Lord is in the building of the house, and you may not be the greatest builder, but you've said, God, I'm not the greatest builder. I don't have the greatest wisdom. I don't have the greatest ability to build the house, but I look to you in all my ways. I'm acknowledging you. Would you, would you give me principles to build this thing? Because it's beyond what I know to do. But God, would you help in the building? God says, I'm going to build it for you. I'm going to build it with you. You just trust me. You rely upon me. You continue to seek my face. Let the storms come come and you'll find where you thought that maybe your house wasn't going to be able to endure the storm because there were other people that it looked like they were using something bigger and better than you were and all of a sudden there there the storm came and their house is gone but your little house that you built with God can stand whatever the storm and so right now we're we're going to a period of of time in our country, there's this decade of shaking and storms and swells that are going to come to our country, and we're going to find maybe some very big structures that we that, that we thought they were God, and they're going to be swept away. But the people of His presence, the people of His voice, the people that have been seeking His heart and building along with Him, you got roots in the ground. Fear not, fear not. Though the winds blow and the storms come, your house will stand because it's built upon a foundation whose builder and maker was God. Yeah. Same thing 
Same thing. You don't have to, don't have to feel like I've got to protect everything. I've got to make sure that everything is secure. I've got to make sure that nothing can come in and steal. No, God works the night shift. You don't have to stay up all night worrying about whether some thief is going to come in and steal and kill and to destroy. No, no, God is watching over your home. God is watching over your city. God is watching over your fields. And he knows how to protect. He knows how to defend. He knows how to aid his people to those that have put their trust in him. And I love the ability to be able to rest when I know that my labor is not enough. You know, there's an education you get the older you get. <laughs> older you get, you know, you, don't, you can't do what you used to do. And so when you're young, there is this deception that you walk in, that you think that you can do it all. You've got unlimited energy and strength, and you can, you can burn both candles on the end, and you just think, I got this. And then when you get older, God teaches you, well, you don't have this, do you? <laughs> I had to bring you to this place of weakness. Uh, I, I got over the Rona here about two weeks ago. Omnicron, as Ben Shapiro calls it. And uh, so battled and got through that, and somebody saw me, and they said, uh, are you 100%? I said, I haven't been 100% since I was 21. <laughs> Just to be honest with you. I said, I think I'm about 57.2. Uh, but I feel like I'm over Rona, but I'm still just only about 57.2 uh, because of my age stage. Isn't it great to be able to rest in him? Yes. To know that I can just say, God, I can't do it, but you can. You're, you're working the night shift for me. I don't need to work the night shift. I'm just going to lay, lay my little head down. You know, there's a psalm where David had been driven out of Jerusalem because Absalom was trying to overthrow him. And uh, he goes outside to this place where he's out in the wilderness again. David coming full circle. And uh, he tells those that, you know, are around him. And it's the psalm. He said, I laid my head down and I slept and I awaked and the Lord sustained me. You know, sometimes you get a token of God's deliverance just by God saying, you're in the middle of a storm. I'm going to give you sweet sleep. And the sweetness of the sleep I give you in the middle of all the threats and the battles that surround you is my token that I'm going to deliver you tomorrow. And that's the way God wants us to live. They asked a, a Civil War general one time, they said, how is it that you are impervious to the shot and shells that are all around you? And he said, my faith informs me that I am as safe on this battlefield as I am in my bedroom. How many of that's, that, that's, that is... We're able to, to plant, sow, move forward in the future, even difficult days in the history of our nation. 
We're not going to stop doing what God has called us to do. No, we're going to sow in faith. We're going we're to harvest in faith. We're going to keep moving forward, advancing the kingdom of God. Though the nations rage, we know that we can just rest in Him. And He is going to produce the harvest. Now, quickly, I want to talk to you about the second half of this verse. So hopefully I preached you happy a little bit, talking about how He's building and watching and He's working with us. But then you go, well, well, how is he going to build? And how is he going to watch? And how is he going to protect? And how is he going to work with us? And then we get to the second half of this psalm. And like I said, I, I want to read the, the, the second half of the psalm as if, as if it's a different one. They missed out on breaking it up and making it Psalm 128. But I want you to look at the word. It says, look, behold, you want to know how God's going to work with you? To preserve your labors, to protect your harvest. You know how God is going to build. You know how God is going to watch. Behold, children. Everybody say that with me. Children. My children. Say that. My children. So if you're one of your parents are here today, I want to inform you that the way God is going to protect your parents' house, your parents' harvest, and your parents' city He's going to do it through you in an upcoming generation. <laughs> That's right. Go ahead. It's true. I'm glad he felt that because it's true. You know, I, I've, been a, I've been a church planter. I've been a church planter and I've tilled and I've sown and I've labored and I've cried and I've worked for the Lord. And sometimes I've looked at the labor and said... Is there anything that will be left after, after we, my wife and I have spent all that we have in the work of the Lord? Behold your children. Behold your children. So, So I had a situation last fall where rarely do all the kids come in. But we had an opportunity to have all my sons and daughters come in. And it was for Carmen's 50th birthday. And uh, as was my custom, I just got up. And I went downstairs and I was sitting on the couch reading the word. And pray and have morning devotions. And John come in there and he got a cup of coffee. And he sat down beside me. And uh, I said, do you want me to read out loud? You know, you got to make sure you, your kids can be their own person. I said, I don't want to read out loud. And I don't want to ignore that you're here. But I'm having my time with the Lord. And I said, would you want me to read out loud? He said, of course, Dad. You can read out loud. And I was reading out the psalm, and I started reading the psalm. And all of a sudden, John started quoting the psalm. And I stopped reading, and he quoted the entire chapter. And he said to me, Mom taught us that when we were children. He said, 
I've not forgotten that death. In that moment, I knew that I was looking at my inheritance from the Lord. That he was going to protect the harvest that I've sown for. That he watches over the city that I want to live in. (laughs) And he's building my house that will endure way past me. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And whether this is a spiritual heritage or your physical heritage, because we have spiritual kids and we have those that are natural. But it says, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So this tells us of a a day in the future of this man who's built and there's a city that he needs watching and protecting and a harvest that he needs defended. But it says that if you cultivate your children as warrior seed. How many got some arrows of the Lord's deliverance? There's going to be a day in my life where I'm going to need an arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And God's prophesied right here in this passage of the scripture that one of my spiritual kids or one of my physical kids, which are spiritual kids as well, will be an arrow of deliverance for me to make sure the home is secured, the city is watched for, and the harvest is preserved. And it says that the man will come when the army surrounds the city, coming to destroy and to steal everything that you've sown for. The man who's had his quiver full and the man who understands that his children are the warrior seed, the future warriors in a, in a generation to come, that when that old man gets upon the ramparts, And there is this enemy that has come and standing at the gates and saying, you must surrender and capitulate. That old man who cannot wield the sword anymore. Cannot go out to battle, cannot defend himself and all that he needs defended because he's he spent his life building. He spent his life watching. He spent his life with the Lord. But it says that his children will stand upon the walls with him. And when the enemy sees the warrior seed that is now grown into a mighty army, that old man is able to say, not here, not now, not ever. You will pay for attacking this city. Now, the church must start seeing the children around us as warrior seed. So there, there, is, there is a thing that I see in the body of Christ where people come to me often and they just say, what kind of a world is our children going to be living in in the days to come? How many have heard that cry? I say it all depends with what you do with those children right now. If you don't have a vision to relay foundations where former generations used to dwell. If you're not a Nehemiah and an Ezra, and if you're not returning your kids back to Zion, then God only knows what type of world they're going to live in. 
But if there are those that will begin to establish generational foundations and will begin to see the next generation as our deliverers, as our restorers, as the ones who will raise up in a way to make sure the work of God continues to the next generation and the next generation after that, then I look at the world that Karis is going to live in as a opportunity to rebuild Jerusalem in a nation that has been lost and adrift. Do you hear what I'm saying? I, I see that if, if we will raise up the warrior seed now and mature it, then we're going to see a national revival. We're going to see a national spiritual reset. We'll see a, a returning of a nation back to God. So I do not fear what she's going into if the church will do right now what we're, what we're needing to do. And that is build generationally, think generationally, raise our children up as warrior seed and, and knowing that, honey, I, I'm training you as a warrior. I'm training you as someone that is prophetic. I'm training you in the things of God, knowing that I'm going to send you out to fight a fight that God has ordained that you will win. He is going to allow you to face giants, but we're going to do the training and the preparation and the cultivating of a warrior heart and a, a, and a warring bride that is fearless in the face of fear. Yes. And in that day, we will not say it's all been lost. We'll see a generation of warriors rise up that will possess the gates of their enemies. Now, where do we begin? Well, I, I believe that it begins by us recognizing what we're stewarding, and that is a generation. And the Great Commission is first obeyed. And I appreciate Emily going to South Africa. But I know this, the Great Commission, the call to make disciples, starts right in my home. Because... It says, go you into all the world, preach the gospel to all the nations. I realize that within every child, there is a family. Within every child, there ultimately is the potential of a clan. And within every child, there's the potential of a tribe. And within my child, there's the potential of a nation. So Jesus called me to the nation. So when I look at my children and my grandchildren, I say, there is a nation within you. Do we see that? So when I'm going, I want to go to the, to the nations. But I want to start with the nations that are under my roof. Knowing this is going to become a clan, going to become a tribe, a family, clan, tribe, ultimately a nation. And so I'm right now discipling the nations. So don't ever let the devil minimize your impact of what you're doing. And so I know you want to preach to hundreds and thousands. I would want to do that too. Wouldn't you love to go to the farthest reaches of the world and have thousands of people in attendance and you preach the gospel to them and you see the Lord save hundreds and thousands of people. I'd love to do that. But what we have to see is you have thousands right in front of you. That's right. 
those thousands are in them. And so I take seriously, I don't become so familiar with my family that I lose sight of the potential harvest of the nations that right there I have the ability to shape the future generation of nations that are going to be emerging in the earth. So where do we begin? I'm going to go quickly. The church must be a prophetic church. But I think sometimes when we talk about the prophetic church, we like to focus upon the church being prophetic and knowing the future. How many like that? And the more insecure our times are, the more we want to know what's going to happen. It's a trap. And I think the, the trap we got caught in two years ago how many of you searched every prophetic person that you could think of on the internet to find somebody that would tell you what you wanted to hear? <laughs> That's why I say it's a trap. And so if somebody said something that you didn't want to hear, you just went, false prophet. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear the one that will tell me what I want to hear. The church primarily to be prophetic, it, we still need to discern vital issues of the future. But primarily, the prophetic is defined not by foretelling, but by forthtelling. Yes. Forthtelling means that I carry an anointing upon my life to steward the testimony of Jesus. And the testimony of Jesus extends back to the very beginning of creation, which is what God has done. All of his word, all of his works, all of his wonders that I become a steward of the mystery of God. It's called the gospel. Greatest story ever told. It's interesting how we want to find somebody that will tell us another word when we already have heard the word. And so if the church wants to be accurate in the future to foretell, we've got to re-establish the foundations of foretelling we've got to get our story straight That's right. come on yeah. somebody say amen whether you yeah. want to or not we got to get our story straight how many of you ever confronted one of your kids and you know that they're they're mixed up on their story they're trying to tell you a story but you've already interviewed several others you conducted the investigation there's been mom who's the good cop and dad who's the bad cop. And you know, you're not getting the story straight. And so you're trying to find out where, what is the truth here? The church has forgotten its story. And so Psalm 78, and this is a large segment of scripture and we're not going to read it for the sake of time. But I want you to hear the appeal of this psalmist to the people of God. Give ear, oh my people. Would you listen? Would you listen? God has something to say to you, but maybe it's not about your future, but it's about your forgotten past because you don't know where you're going unless you know where you've been and how God has brought you through that. Give ear, O oh my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He said, I will open my mouth in a parable. Now, 
don't think of this term parable in a New Testament sense, like Jesus telling parables. This simply means the story, the narrative, the heritage of the testimony of God that has been given to the people of God that is to be passed down generation to generation to generation. Get your story right. He said, I want you, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to, I'm going to once again tell you the story of God and how he interfaced with us as a people. And then he said, I will utter, utter dark sayings from of old. This phrase, dark saying, doesn't mean that it's mysterious. It means that there are things that you used to know, but the facts have become fuzzy because you forgot to retell them over and over again. And now it's like, what was that that God did? I don't quite remember all that. And what was that that happened? He said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to retell the story and I'm going to utter things that have been long, from long ago but have now been forgotten. It's like they're in the recesses of the darkness of your memory, but we're going to bring them back, refresh them, and bring them into light. He said, things that we have heard. Can we say this? Things that we have heard and that we have known. I appreciate your participation. One more time. Things that we have heard and we known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law of Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. Even the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so they should set their hope in God. If you want your kids to have hope, in the things that they're going to walk through, in the things that they're going to face, in the battles that they're going to have to fight, instead of them being a hopeless generation that says, how can we face the day? The warrior seeds that have been told the testimony of the Lord, those that have been established in the truth of the word of God. And it is reinforced over and over and over again. God's goodness, his faithfulness, and his greatness, and his power, and his glory. And he has never failed us yet. And we've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. There is nothing we have to be afraid of because God is with us. But not not just with us he is in us he is for us and this is why we know this fact and know this truth because of this is what God did in this moment and we retrace our steps back through our journey of faith and we pass it on from generation to generation Amen. now all of us as kids face temptations didn't we and some of us did a better job at others. And some of it was just the fear of dad. <laughs> it wasn't the fear of the Lord. It was the fear of dad. And so we were able to say, no, I don't think I can get away with that. But I know in my life, and I've said these things, I, and I'm going to echo again. 
the things that became in, in, in my time of growing up where there was temptations all around me, the things that brought me back and anchored, even though the ship was tossed and pulled, is that my family had this spiritual heritage. And my dad would recount the story of God, personal story of God to his children. And what it did is it made God real to me. And as he would tell these stories, they would begin to frame my worldview and what I perceived about God. And then as a child, you begin to have experiences. And they become anchor points, touchstones in your own life. That the God of my father is my God as well. And then my grandfather, who is also a, a pastor, he would recount testimony, miracles. And so I would hear these things, hear the story of God, hear about miracles, healings, supernatural history, provision, breakthrough, rescue, should have died, could have died, but God. I find that most people are not taking these stories and passing them on to our kids. And we don't think our kids are listening. Oh, they don't want to hear that. They'll just say, oh, Dad, there you go again. Which my kids say that to me. <laughs> they go, oh, Dad, here you go again. And when I don't think they, they were listening, they were listening. Even though they seem like, I don't want to hear that again. Now, just like I had that incident with my, my son, John. Here, Carmen tried to pour the word of God into those boys that she was homeschooling. And many times I would arrive home and she would just go, your turn. <laughs> Tag, you're it. But honey, I've had a long day. No, I'm telling you, if you don't take over, some of them's going to die today. <laughs> You know, they didn't want to. They didn't want to memorize the Bible. They didn't want to. They didn't want to go back through that again. They didn't want to hear that story again. But the joy is when you're sitting around the table with them as adults now, and I go, "They've all heard my stories before." And then all of a sudden, one of them will say, Dad, do you remember when? And I go, listen, who's telling the story now? <laughs> I don't have to retell it. They're starting to tell it themselves. Of when God provided. Of when God aided, when God helped, when God showed up, when God was God. And as those little kids watched it in real time, 
It was a Christianity that was caught, not taught. And so I have a two-year-old granddaughter now, and she's smarter and prettier than any of your grandchildren, <laughs> by the way. But I'm almost finished. I had the privilege uh, at Christmas time of watching her, two years old. She's very articulate. She's, she, she's kind of like Josiah. If you remember Josiah when he's little, he was like a little adult. He could articulate so well. Uh, Ellie is that way. And Sarah, my daughter-in-law, brought her up, and she said, do you want to tell Papa your mem memory verses? And she did it with hand gestures. She said, and you know, she does it as a two-year-old. All have sinned. And then she does this action. And fallen <laughs> short of the glory of God. <laughs> now, children, grandchildren. You know why there's a passion about teaching kids the scriptures with my children? Because of a homeschool mom that pulled her hair out many times saying, I don't know if they'll remember a thing. Ah. You're right, Alex. We didn't labor in vain. Because God was working. God was watching. God was helping. And this is how our faith will restore the foundations of deserted cities where the people of God used to dwell in. So a part of this is to encourage you, Nehemiah. Go into what you think is rubble. Wasteland. Like, how are we going to turn this thing around? One rock being pulled out of the rubble at a time. One child. One family. We've got to understand that it, it you know, we want to impact millions, but it starts... Just right here with the rubble that it's in front of us and saying this foundation of our faith being expressed in every aspect of life. And us being militant about it. We are going to pray over our food. And, and parents, if you haven't been doing that, modeling that example in front of the kids, repent in front of your kids. They'll respect you for it. Saying, you know what? I, I've been acting more Babylonian in front of you. We're, 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 we're residents of Zion. And so when, the, when take food has come before us, we understand that we didn't produce it. This is here because God loves us and has provided for us. We must acknowledge him. When you get into the thing and everybody's wanting to, to say, are we there yet? Say, no, we're not there yet. We're not going to get there unless in all of our ways we acknowledge the Lord. Because he is the protector of his people. So let's pray as we go. Sing with your kids. I said sing with your kids. Force them to sing. Sing the songs of Zion. So I got to quit because it's 1217, but we would force our boys, and they, they were tough guys. All of them were these athletes. And at 16, 17 years old, they didn't want to go around the keyboard. And we would just make them come around the keyboard. And we would force them to sing. Yep. 
Sing hymns of the church. Sing choruses. Sing whatever. And, and now, guess what they want to do? Can we just all get together again and sing? Sure. Don't even have to recommend it. All of a sudden, there's a connection to the memory of the faithfulness of God, the testimony that we carry, that now that testimony is in them and they're stewarding it in their family. I want that. I want that. Stand with me and I want to pray. Thank you for your patience. I apologize that the worship went so long. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I don't want everybody to respond to this if you don't feel this from the Lord. But if you feel that God is calling you out as a Ezra or a Nehemiah, I want you to raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Father, I want to pray right now for those that by faith have raised their hand. This is a dirty job. It's in the, the nitty-gritty of the rubble of people's lives. But Father, I thank you for a man like Nehemiah and a priest like Ezra who took a remnant and they went back to what had been lost. And they began to build the house of the Lord. They began to rebuild the walls. They began to recover the scriptures. And half of them wept and half of them laughed in joy. But God, I ask tonight, as you're, today, as you're calling out those that you're raising up in this hour those that are generation builders God I pray that number one you would strengthen them with encouragement right now in the name of Jesus and the hard task of raising up warrior seed encourage their hearts strengthen them Lord, let there be a fresh oil of anointing for this work in Jesus' name. Lord, let them know that their labor will not be in vain. For you are working, you are building, you're watching with them. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes to see in the future. That as they work in hiddenness to relay these foundations, the battles that will be won, the victories that will be achieved, the nations that will be shaken by what they're doing in real time in this moment right now. God, let them connect and see the present work to the future breakthrough. In Jesus' name. I'm going to repeat that again. God, let them see that the present work and labor of rebuilding, relaying, is connected to future breakthrough in our country. 
the revival that we have labored for and longed to see. God, I thank you for the labor in the present moment to produce the revivalist that will bring your glory. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, I ask for the wisdom of the wise master builder to come to your people. God, give us insight, understanding, direction to know what to do and how to do it. God, we cannot do it by ourselves. But God, you can give us kingdom strategy to begin to raise up this future generation even in greater and greater ways. I thank you for kingdom strategy, God. Kingdom architecture. God, let revelation come to the Nehemiahs and the Ezras to know what to do, even in this city and region, God. As they enter into the waste places, God, kingdom architecture, kingdom strategy, building strategies to bring restoration so that other people can come and dwell and live. Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name.